Well, Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs> you know, there's just something that's, that's kind of different about a new year. Um, there's really nothing different, right? All we did is we just swapped out the last number on the date. But for some reason, at this time of year, we, we feel like things are different. We're full of expectations. We're full of, of hope about what could be. Maybe we'd say that, that we have dreams about this coming year. And that kind of caused me to reflect back on, uh, on when I was growing up. And, and so when you were growing up, did you, did you ever dream about what it was that you wanted to be? I think we all did that, and, and certainly I did, and I had several iterations of what that looked like. Um, I remember wanting to be a police officer. Actually, it was a special agent for the FBI. That was the most common and oft-repeated for me. I also remember wanting to be an oceanographer or an astronaut. Uh, thanks to Indiana Jones, I wanted to be an archaeologist for a time. Uh, 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 an army man a train driver, as I knew him as a child. Uh, I think at one point I knew I was going to be Luke Skywalker, uh, football player, lots of different things that, that I thought about. And, and some of you may have heard one of your dreams in my list. I mean, those are pretty common things, especially for little boys. And I don't think that most little boys grow up saying, you know, I really want to be an accountant. Or, or a tax attorney, right? No, no offense there. I don't mean any disrespect. Those are noble professions. At least an accountant is, anyway. But um, <laughs> you know, there's just something that's planted in the hearts of of men, and I'm speaking to men right now because that's my experience. It, it's a shared experience. I, I don't have firsthand knowledge of what it was like to grow up a little girl. Uh, I didn't personally experience that. I mean, I have girls and, and I'm privileged to help my wife continue to raise them, but, but I don't have experience being one of them. And so I just, I don't know what it was like. I'll talk about what I learned from them in just a minute. But back to the guys, you know, again, there's just something in the hearts of men. You, you might call it the adventurer. You know, whenever we look at stories that boys like, those stories are hero stories. And it's not that girls don't like hero stories, but I think it's for different reasons. Right? Boys see themselves as the hero, battling forces of evil, saving the world, saving the girl. And I think girls, I think, see themselves as the one for whom the hero is fighting. But for boys and, and the stories they like, there, there needs to be a warrior. There needs to be battles. There needs to be fights and hardship and nemesis, the forces of evil. There needs to be this battle against incredible odds that in order to save the day or, or again to save the girl, he's brave and he, and he faces and overcomes all of these dangers, narrow escapes, epic contests. And I think it goes right along with that old adage, right? What are little boys made of? Snips and snails and, and puppy dog tails. That's what little boys are made of, right? Adventure, grass stains and dirt and, and blood. And the more, the better. 
right? The things to jump off of, things to jump onto, things to jump over. And, and really, you know what? We don't need things. We just need to jump. It's just kind of written in our hearts. That's, that's boys. In his book, Wild at Heart, John Eldridge writes this, Adventure, with all of its requisite dangers and wildness, there is a deeply spiritual longing written into the soul of man. Capes and swords, camouflage, bandanas and guns, these are the uniforms of boyhood. Boys yearn to know that they are powerful, they are dangerous, they are someone to be reckoned with. It's just written in our hearts. Men want to save the day. And, and usually we want to do it with firepower. You, you can't prevent boys from playing with guns. I mean, a graham cracker gets nibbled into the shape of a gun. A stick becomes a rifle. A fallen branch is a bazooka. A pine cone is, is a grenade. Right? And, and I could be wrong, but I don't think little girls invent games that include mass casualties. Right? Boys need something to attack. They need something to defend. Eminent death and, and competition. You know, we drove to Phoenix for Christmas and in the car we were playing the alphabet game. You know, the one who gets through the alphabet first using license plates and signs and those kind of things wins. My boys made it miserable. They argued over every single letter. They accused each other of cheating. It was horrible, and it was all for the win. Right? But that's just, that's just boys. Right? That's, that's what, what we need in our lives. Well, what about little girls? Again, not having been a little girl and dreaming about what it was that I wanted to be when I grew up, I had to ask. And, and so here's, here's a small list of what I heard, well, what did you want to be when you grew up? Miss America. A teacher. Nurse or a doctor. A singer. A movie star. A dancer. A mom. An airline stewardess. A missionary. A neuroscientist. A veterinarian. A writer. Now I see in that list a lot of taking care of, a lot of serving and nurturing. Now, I, I may not know what you ladies wanted to be, but I do know what you're made of. Right? Sugar and spice and everything nice. That's what you're made of. And I suspect that when you were little, and give some grace here again, I'm not one of you, but I suspect that when you were little, you wanted to be cherished and honored and respected adored by one of those nasty snips and snails and puppy dog tails. Romance was a big part of your approach and the things that you did. And you know, when my sister and I played together, I was always dismayed because my G.I. Joe always had to be married to her Barbies. It's horrible. Right? And I don't want to presume, but I suspect little girls' hearts don't ache so much for that adventure. Not in the same way anyway. They don't necessarily have that same warrior heart. They play house, and the house doesn't get blown up or shot up or swept away in a tornado. Right? They play things like Barbie and American Girl, more, more domestic-themed activities. And I know I'm speaking in generalizations here, and, and we live in a culture that sees those generalizations as being sexist, but they're not. 
They're not. It's just the way we're wired. God has wired us differently. And a woman desires relationship. She longs for intimacy, security. She wants to know and be known deeply. It's this soulish, heart-to-heart connectedness that she longs for. She longs to be cared for and to nurture and to care for others. It's sweeping romance. It's just different. And, and I think there's a loneliness in a woman's whole and soul that, that desires this connection to be filled with relationship. And I, and I believe that she seeks affirmation that will not cut her dignity out from under her, but will sustain her and carry her despite any and all circumstances. At least that's what I think anyway. And, and today, I want to offer you boys and, and girls, men and women, an opportunity to make all of those dreams come true. To see those longings fulfilled. I want to offer those little boys, even those of you who can remember Yuri Gagarin's historic space flight, I want to offer you a life of adventure and that heroism that your soul craves. And you, little girls, even if you remember Jackie Kennedy gracing the White House with, with style, I want to offer you that, that intimacy, that fidelity, that security, and that sweeping romance that your heart craves. Because if we're honest, and if we look in our lives, most of us are not living in that, that idealistic expectation that we set for ourselves as children. Many of us have experienced betrayal, loss, insecurity, hurt, deception. Many of us simply live in this place of feeling dissatisfied with where we are and knowing there's just something greater, something bigger, something more. And I believe that's because we're looking in the wrong places, attempting to satisfy these deep longings of our souls. Too many men are turning to a world of fantasy that kills their ability to have intimacy with a real human being. Too many women are willing to compromise their virtue if they could just feel loved. And there is no job, there is no person, there is no escape that could ever satisfy the deepest longings of our soul. Not even, my, not even my wife can give me those things. She's not designed to fill me completely. That's not her job. There's only one place I can go to be satisfied completely. There's only one way to discover the greatest adventure and the most intimate of relationship. I'm talking about discipleship. Turn with me to Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, 16-20. And if you're able this morning, please stand as I read the very Word of God. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. And please pray with me.
Father, what an incredible promise we've just read. You are with us even to the end of the age. You are faithful, Lord. You will never leave us nor forsake us. And it is that relationship that we so desperately crave. Father, I'm thankful for the truth of Your Word. Lord, sanctify us with Your truth. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So this passage, often referred to as the Great Commission, I think we could sometimes cynically call it the Great Omission. And I say that because in these verses we have these four imperatives. But really, historically, the church has, has only given significant attention, attention to two of them. So the four are go, make disciples, baptize, and, and teach them to observe. And I think the church has done a, a great job with the first one, go. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why I chose and continue to choose to be a Southern Baptist is, is our missions, the cooperative program. Southern Baptist missions, I believe, are the best missions in the world. And, and that's part of the reason why I'm Southern Baptist. And I think we've also done a pretty good job with baptizing. In 2020, there were 235,748 baptisms. That seems like a large number, but that is the lowest number since World War II. We have to understand we're still in a pretty weird period of time. There's, there's this, this COVID thing going on. And here at VGBC, we had 26 baptisms this year as of November. In 2020, we had six. And in 2019, we had 35. So again, I think, I think we're doing a good job. I do not think, however, that we've done a good job of make disciples. And I say that because that means something. It means so much more than just new believers or, or new converts. It's, it's more than that. And I don't think we've done a good job of it. And I don't think we've done a great job of, of teaching them to observe everything that He's commanded. And when I say we, I'm, I'm talking about the church generally, but there's also an aspect of it that's very personal and, and individual to each of us. And again, I just don't think we've done a good job in those two areas. I don't think I've done a good job in selling the idea of discipleship, communicating discipleship. And, and as I study the Gospels, I see discipleship as a central component. Our, our role in the Gospel is to make disciples. Right? And I feel that the concept of discipleship has just been lost. And I'm not really sure we understand really what it means anymore. And I wonder, I wonder if this might be why so many believers live so dissatisfied with their faith. And, and that their lives just don't look anything like what a believer's life ought to look like. Most of us simply aren't experiencing the abundant life that Jesus has promised His followers. See, to be a disciple means you're a student. A full-time student of your teacher. The, the curriculum is your teacher. The goal of discipleship is to be just like your teacher. You need to study Him. You need to internalize every single word. As, as Ray Vanderlaan puts it, you need to follow your rabbi so closely that you get His dust all over you. And there is an example of this type of discipleship that still exists 
today in, in the Hasidic sect of Judaism. Discipleship is practiced much as it was in the days of Jesus. So a prospective Talmud, a prospective student will, will follow different rabbis, hear their teaching, and the one that he decides he wants to follow, he will approach that rabbi and he'll ask him, may I follow you? Essentially what he's asking that rabbi is, rabbi, teacher, I want to be like you. Do you think I have what it takes? Now Jesus, as he always does, often does, he completely turns this on its head. Because Jesus approaches his prospective followers. And he says, follow me. And what he's done there is he's, in effect, said, Peter, you have what it takes. Come and be my disciple. Devin, you have what it takes. Come and follow me. And, and he makes that offer to all of us. But that student that approaches the rabbi, if that rabbi then accepts him as a student, then, then he begins to follow that teacher. And he will follow him everywhere. And he will observe everything that that rabbi does because again, his goal is to be just like his teacher. A rabbi's disciples, again, they'll follow him everywhere. They will even go into the restroom with their rabbi. Now they will give him his privacy, of course, but they want to know, does he recite the blessing over washing his hands? What, what does he do with his, with his tallit, with his prayer shawl? Does he pray when he takes it off? Does he pray when he puts it back on? How does he fold it? What does he do with his hat? Again, they want to know everything about their rabbi because their goal is to be just like him. Most importantly, though, they listen to his teaching. They memorize his every word. They make the teacher's words the foundation of their lives. And Jesus says this in Matthew 7.24. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus is saying, build your life on my words. And when the storms of life come, your life will not be knocked down. In order to do that, though, we have to know His words. A true disciple knows His teacher's words. A true disciple can recite His teacher's words from memory. A, a true disciple will, will imitate Him because that's the goal of discipleship. He'll live His life according to His teacher's words. Because one day that student will graduate. That student will then become the teacher and he will then teach others to imitate him as he imitates his teacher. And this is also found in the pages of Scripture. Jesus says, whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. He says, if you've seen the Son, you have seen the Father. Paul writes, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. That's discipleship. And Jesus wasn't looking for large crowds. Lots of followers. He wanted disciples. Jesus was looking for students. He wanted those who would give up everything else to follow Him. And to lay everything aside to become like Him. He wasn't interested in large numbers. 
in big crowds. He sought disciples, students. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, that's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, we read this. When Jesus saw the crowds, He went up on the mountain, and after He sat down, His disciples came to Him. When He saw the crowds, He went up. Why did He go up? Apparently, it's because of the crowds. He drew large crowds almost immediately. The beginning of His ministry, Matthew 4.25 says, Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Multitudes of people sought him. The sick, the infirm, the troubled, the curious, the seeking, the skeptical, they all wanted to see Jesus. And so maybe Jesus didn't go up on that mountain so that the crowds would be better able to hear him. Perhaps he went up on the mountain to get away from the crowd so that he could spend time with his disciples. Maybe that's why it says when he saw the crowds, he went up and sat down. And there his disciples approach him. It's not the crowds. It's his disciples. The real disciples, anyway. In Luke's version of this, Jesus stands in a level place. That's why some call it the Sermon on the Plain. Luke doesn't say that that's where he delivered his message from. Instead, he, he is distinguishing again between these multitudes of people and the disciples. Luke does say that Jesus delivered his teaching to his disciples. Luke 6.20 says, "...in turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say." Matthew adds that detail of him removing himself from the crowds and going up on the mountain. What's the point of this? It seems to me that the story indicates that Jesus has two types of followers. He has the crowds of people, and then He has the disciples. There were those who were looking for what they could get out of following Jesus. And then there were those who were more interested in what they could, and I would even say better, should give because they were following Jesus. And the question for us is, which type of follower do you want to be? Do you want to be one of the multitude, one of the crowd that flocks around Him, hoping to maybe receive a miracle, a blessing, fame, or or just your ticket to heaven? Or are you one of His students? Are you eager to learn His teachings, to know every word that comes from His mouth, and, and really to be just like Him. That is the goal of discipleship. To be like your teacher. And then to go and to teach others to be just like Him as well. And back in Matthew 28, we see that this is graduation day. Up on that mountain that Jesus designated when He calls them and appears to them and He says, go make disciples. This is the commencement ceremony. After three years of full-time discipleship, His disciples are are now ready. They've learned His words. They've they've memorized what He he said. And and I'm telling you, it's memorization straight up. You've got to memorize His words. They've learned His traditions, His manner of interpretation. They've seen how He's lived the Scriptures out in His life. And now they're ready to go out and imitate Him. They're ready to conduct themselves in the same manner as He did. They're going to be a replica 
what they want is people to say, if you've seen Him, then you've seen the Teacher. They're ready to go out and continue that process. He raised these disciples and this now is His charge to them and really to us. This is our assignment. It's our job. First, being a disciple, being like Him, and then going and making more. And so I really have two goals this morning. One, I want to communicate this desire, this deep desire to be a disciple and to make disciples. And in addition, I want to make sure you understand what that means. Because discipleship is not just academic. It's not just sitting and, and learning and, and hearing. It's, it's doing. It is radical obedience to the things that we hear. And sometimes that is not easy. I'm going to look quickly at John chapter 6. Uh, the, the latter part of that chapter, Jesus is teaching about manna. The manna that's come from heaven. And He's, he's likening Himself to the manna. And so beginning in verse 53 of John chapter 6, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats My flesh and drinks My blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Who, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Verse 59 and 60 says, These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Jesus gives this teaching. He's talking about the manna that God gave them in the wilderness. And, and it's a hard teaching. It's hard. And in verse 66, we then read, and He was saying, for, uh, for I'm sorry, uh, 66, not 65, Devin. As a result of this, many of His disciples withdrew and were not walking with Him anymore. Many of His disciples withdrew. It's just too hard. Right? And, and the standard that Jesus sets for His disciples is hard. The cost is great. We're to surrender everything to this call on our lives. And, and His call will absolutely put us in opposition with the culture around us. We see it every day. Right? And many walk away because of it. Right? I won't be popular. People will think I'm weird. I might get canceled. Right? I'll lose my friends. I'll lose my job. Whatever that is. And you can be like one of those who walk away, one of those who are doubtful, or you can climb the mountain and you can sit with Him and learn His teaching. Look at verses 67 and 60 through 69. So when Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away, also do you? Simon Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that You are the Holy One of God. That's what we're called to. You alone have the words of eternal life. You are the Holy One of God. What more could you possibly need in your life than that? Where else could you possibly go to find the life that you so desperately crave? than to the only One who has the words of eternal life. 
The disciples hold fast to the Word of God, even in some of the most difficult of circumstances. Listen to how Paul describes discipleship. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as one as if insane. I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and in thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. The discipleship is a world of danger. It's a world of intrigue. We are agents of the King behind enemy lines facing off with these malevolent spiritual forces and beings. Demons that plot against us and haunt us. For we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now this is Narnia battling Jardis, the, the evil white witch and her influence. This is Middle Earth. right? It's the fight against Sauron and the darkness that would consume that kingdom. And this is making our dreams come true? <laughs> right? what, what kind of dream is this to have one foot in Eden and one foot in hell at the same time? To be always numb, to be plagued by demons and summoned by angels at the same time endlessly to be at war for the kingdom of heaven, battling for the hearts and souls of human beings. That's what little boys are made of. And part of this is making disciples. And, and you know, I feel like I'm a, a, an armed forces recruiter here because we need good men. We need good men. Right? So, get an edge on life. Be all you can be. Aim high, right? But being a disciple is the simplest thing in the world. And yet it's also one of the most difficult. It's simple because all you have to do is obey your teacher. Just do what he tells you. It's that simple. And yet it's so difficult because everything within us fights against that call. Everything within us tries to keep us from doing what we're to do. But we also know that everything we need is given to us. Everything we need to be successful in this campaign is given to us. And, and you know, again, I'm not done a good job of communicating this sense of identity and this purpose, let alone just living it out personally. Jesus calls us to follow after Him and to make disciples. And there is a sense of significance there. there there's purpose. There's meaning. And you will discover something bigger than yourself there. You'll have the opportunity to be a hero. It's the fellowship of the ring. Right? An ally of Aslan. Now, I really like to have a business card that just says disciple on it. Right? When people say, who are you? What do you do? I'm a disciple of the King. I'm a disciple of Jesus and I rescue people from death. Man, wouldn't that be great? 
Never forget who you are and what you do. You are following the King and He is storming the gates of hell. And that's a great adventure. And when you follow Him, you will receive more purpose, more significance. You'll find your worth and your value in such a way that no image, no video, no video game can ever fill you the way that He does. No fantasy could ever compare to the satisfaction that you'll get from simply following Christ, being a disciple. What about the girls? Right? We know Jesus called women to follow Him too, and they were perhaps His most faithful followers. And ladies, you know, maybe freezing nights and shipwrecks and all of that danger doesn't necessarily resonate with you. You might hear those things and, and your response may not be, oh yeah, sign me up for that. Right? But what we're really talking about here is relationship. We're talking about a deep, committed relationship. You know, when we watch The Lord of the Rings at our house, you know what resonates with my wife? When we watch that movie, it, it's not removing an orc's head with Anduril, right? Or watching Legolas loose an arrow that pierces a, a cave troll's heart. Okay, it might be watching Legolas. She really likes Orlando Bloom. But the thing that resonates her when we watch that movie is it's Sam. It is Sam's absolute devotion to Frodo. It's the beauty of that relationship. Devoted to one another. Supporting one another. Caring for one another. Every time we watch that movie, it's that that elicits her tears. That's discipleship. It's a deep, committed relationship. It's a heart-to-heart relationship in which we adore and are adored. Where we remain in His love and His love remains in us. And we, when we have His love, then we learn to love others. We learn to love our neighbors. To really love the people that we love. And sometimes that can be really, really hard. But this is how people know that we're disciples. Because we love. See, discipleship offers a, solu- a solution to the deepest yearning of the feminine soul. The deepest yearning of a woman's heart. The human heart, really. And that is love. Affirmation. The need to be needed and and to be someone special. And to be special to someone. Discipleship, real discipleship is like this. It's, It's glued together. It's stuck together. It's cleaving to one another. Holding fast, clinging to the teacher because you understand that your teacher, your master is stuck to God. And God desires to be glued to you. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with Him. But the one who joins, the one who clings, the one who cleaves, who's stuck when we become a disciple, we become one with Him. Ladies, as a disciple, you will find the deeply committed love that you crave. You will know that what it means to be cherished and valued and adored. 
So much so that you will never be willing to compromise your virtue to anyone just to feel loved. You will always know that you're loved and worth more and more valuable to Him than anything. You'll no longer have to pursue what only He can give. Springs of living water welling up within. A cup that runs over. You'll be able to give and give and never be emptied because of who it is who fills you again. Fills you with His love that then allows you to really, truly love others. So what do you want to be? My hope this morning is that you will choose to be a disciple. In fact, this morning, I dare you, I dare you to live the life of a disciple and to see how it will change your life. Be a student of Jesus. Learn His words. Walk as He walked. And just see the difference that it makes. Let's pray together this morning.